Well, good morning. I, uh, I remember singing that song as a, as a young kid, you know. You with me? Come on. Yeah, I know the hand motions. And uh, I, I was the kid who uh, definitely hated the hand motions and uh, all, all of those songs, including, you know, Father Abraham. Come on. You with me? Deep and wide. Come on, those of you that went to uh, children's church growing up, you know. So, but I, I love that song now as an adult. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It just, it's a, it's a mantra for us as followers of Christ that uh, we have the privilege to let that light shine. This morning, just a brief update on uh, Pastor Paul. Um, he has been doing uh, much better over the last uh, couple of days and significantly better than last Sunday. Or last Sunday, to be honest, we didn't really know what the outcome was going to look like, but um, yesterday and today they've been working on uh, getting him off of oxygen, and uh, overnight he was off of the O2, and uh, today he's back on just a little bit, but uh, he's sounding better. He got to enjoy um, Syracuse beat Notre Dame last night. I, I don't know if there's any other Syracuse fans in the room. No? All right. <laughs> But Paul, he is there with us, I'm sure, uh, there in his hospital bed this morning, rejoicing over uh, the big win last night for his team. And uh, but he's, he's getting better, uh, he's um, improving, and they're trying to uh, just get his oxygen levels back up and his lungs improved just a little bit more, and then uh, they're going to be working on sending him home. So praise God for that. That's a really, really big deal. Um, So this morning, we're going to be starting a new series, and it's called Illuminate. And our desire and our passion is to see God do some big things in us um, on this idea of illuminating the world that they might hear the gospel. Over the past couple of years, you guys have seen this discipleship pathway as we have talked about that, we have implemented that. And knowing that discipleship is not just a a moment, it's not just a a class, it's not a certificate, but it is indeed a pathway and a lifestyle for all of us. And wanting to see um, us come to know God, and we want us to know God through the proclamation of His Word, that we would do that and do it well wherever we are. We want people to start their pathway there. From there, we want people to get connected in community and in a life group and enjoy Um, that time of living life with other people. From there, we want people to really take the next step on that pathway to get involved in discipleship groups. And we want those groups um, to be missional, we want them to be accountable, we want them to be reproducible, and we want them to be based in Scripture where we're practicing spiritual discipline so that God might grow us deep in our faith and not just wide. And it's not something that, you know, you graduate and you, 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 you finish your D group and, hey, yay for you, you're discipled. Uh, we very much want this to become a lifestyle that is reproducible over and over and over again in all of us, where this is the mission that God has called us to. And once we're there and we've, we've had um, that depth begin to grow, we very much see God as part of that pathway um, using us to change the world. And this is the, this is the part of the pathway where we see the most opportunity for us as a church to grow. We've, we see lots of growth and lots of things going incredibly well, 
in the first three, and, and now this change the world piece where we are out there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world, it is the most opportunity that we have. And it's also for us going to be the most challenging because this means we, we have to now turn outside of our normal functioning Christian faith, and we have to step out and say, you know what, this is now my opportunity, this is my responsibility, this is now my mission in life, to be out there sharing the gospel and seeing God change the world. And to accomplish this, there's a few things that need to happen. First, we need to actually believe that God has given you, not just us collectively, but he's given you a story that he has indeed rescued you from the pit of hell. And he has given you a story. And not just he's given you a story, he's given you one to share. He didn't just give it to you so that you can write it in a private journal and tuck it away on a shelf to never be opened again. He has given you a story to share. The second thing that we need to do is we need to be challenging one another to share our stories to actually take time to to put thought into it, to write it down, and to share it with others. We've got to be the kind of church that is challenging one another to do this. And simply after that, we need to share our story. And we need to share it a lot. It's not just going to be a, well, the the sermon this week challenged me to, to share my story with one person. Check. I've I've done that. I'm good. No challenging one another to share our stories over and over with a world that desperately needs it. To be honest, um, our life goals might need to change. Some of our focuses might need to change. We might need to change our focus from the American dream to one of being on full-time mission, of sharing the gospel with those around us. We might need to change our, our goals and focus from maybe being more corporate with our job or patriotic causes, and we would change those and turn those to the mission of the gospel wherever we go. And if we're honest, we must change our focus from being lazy Christians to our faith in Christ driving us each and every day. I think we've seen it over and over, and more and more our eyes are being opened to the reality that we live in a dark world. I mean, do you see it? Every day. We're feeling it. We're experiencing it. We see it on the news. We see it in our workplaces. We see it with our friends. We see it with our family. And you're seeing this darkness that's really been there all along come up to the surface. And we're realizing exactly how dark it is. Today, we're going to look at a story where Jesus claims to be the light of the world. And I want to challenge us um, to be that light as well. So would you pray with me? God, we're grateful today. We're grateful for the good news um, about um, Pastor Paul and uh, what you're doing there and the fact that you are good in good circumstances and bad circumstances. God, you are good when we see it. You are good when we don't. And God, we're grateful um, this morning that uh, there's been some good news with our friend, uh, with our Pastor Paul. And God, we continue to pray for him and others uh, who are sick um, in this body and elsewhere. God, that you might heal them, that your name might be lifted up, that it might be glorified um, in others, in their circumstances. 
And God, that you might change people. So God, we trust you to do things in our hearts today. God, remove the distractions. Help us to set them aside. God, may today not just be a, a sermon. May it not be about um, just feeling good or, or checking a box that we went to church today. But God, may you begin to do something in us that people might see the light of the world, that they might be illuminated to the gospel, and that you indeed might change the world through us. So God, we love you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9 today. We've got um, lots to read, and there is this um, story that's it's set in the context in the midst of Jesus um, challenging um, the religious elite of the days, challenging the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's challenging the status quo of all that's going on. And people are asking the question in these moments, it's happening in, in John chapter 9, before and after, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? What is he all about? Is he real? Is he fake? Is he some sort of Marvel superhero? You know, who is Jesus in these moments? And um, Jesus does some pretty incredible things, and he says some incredibly powerful uh, messages. So we're actually going to um, go through um, chapter 9. And it's lengthy, but the story is, is incredible. So just kind of as we read it, begin to pay attention as to what's happening, what's being said, what are other people thinking, um, feeling as this is happening right there in front of them. So let's start in verse 1. And it says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So here in this moment, as Jesus is uh, talking with his disciples, they come upon this man who was blind from birth. And, you know, the disciples ask a question, you know, is, is it because he sinned or his parents sinned that he was blind? And much of a belief, and even today, there's that belief today in our culture where someone has some sort of ailment, some sort of disease, some sort of sickness because um, someone in their life has sinned. And here in this passage, anyway, we see that it's not because of that, but it's actually because of something else. And as we look at it, I, I want to encourage us to not just see times when people are sick and those types of things, that it's because of sin. There might be a much bigger reason for it. And in verse 3, we see it, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What if the circumstances of our lives were orchestrated so that God's glory might be displayed? What if your struggle right now, what if my struggle, what if our struggle right now is being orchestrated so that God might demonstrate himself to the world? What if it's not about just being punished 
because of some sort of sin? What if it's not because somebody screwed up, but God wants to do something in our world? Again, we live in a dark world, right? What if God wants to be the light in this dark, dark world? In verse 4, we see that he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus had a clear focus in this moment. He knew that darkness was coming. He had a window of time where he was able to minister here physically on earth. By the way, so do we. We have a very limited amount of time. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We have a very limited amount of time where it is day, where we get to minister. Jesus' focus of what he was to do was clear. When was he going to do it? He was going to do it now. He was going to be the light in this darkness now. Let's not wait until tomorrow. Let's not put it off until next week or when we're older or we're wiser or we've done everything else we want to do. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew when he was going to do it. And he knew why he was going to do it because darkness was coming. His time was limited. And in verse 5, Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Just a chapter before, really in the same stretch of what's happening in this story as the Scripture is laying it out. Uh, the, the woman caught in adultery that's happening in the beginning of chapter 8 where they bring the woman out and they're expecting Jesus to condemn her. And he's like, one of you without any sin, cast the first stone. That's, that's the moment that's happening in the beginning of chapter 8. And in verse 12, after that whole situation is done, it says, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, and there in that moment, this, um, this tension continues between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they're trying to disprove that Jesus is who he claims to be. <laughs> they don't want Jesus to be God. They want Jesus to be some random hack that they can just cast away and cast aside and no one has to pay any attention to that crazy guy doing weird things over in the corner. That, that's who they want Jesus to be. And, and Jesus tells them, I am the light of the world. As the story continues um, in the synagogue, in chapter 9, we, we see that he again tells them that he is the light of the world. Because people, people were living in darkness then too. There were people that were manipulating culture. They were manipulating the scriptures. They were um, taking power and authority and they were exercising that over people so that they couldn't um, experience and hear the truth of God on their own. In Matthew 5, uh, as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, he changes it. Instead of it being, I am the light of the world, he says, you, as he's teaching his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they put it 
um, under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. Why? So that all in the house might be able to see. Jesus here is not just uh, pointing out who he is. He's also teaching us that we are that light as he lives in us. And his time is limited. Let's move on to verse um, 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now we, we read this and we just read it as though it's some story in the Bible, but imagine that this is actually happening, like today. Like you're, you're walking in your neighborhood and there's a guy that's blind and he's been blind from birth and Jesus comes along and is like, hey, he spits in the mud, which, uh, I know, it's a little gross, but it's Jesus. He can do what he wants. So he spits in the dirt, and he makes mud, and he puts it on this guy's eyes, and he tells him to go wash it off. I mean, imagine being there. Imagine being the disciples that are there watching this, wondering, what? What? <laughs> what are you doing, Jesus? That's... That's interesting. And people, they're watching this too. It's not just the disciples. And he sends this guy uh, to the pool that provided water uh, for the synagogue and for the city. And it means sent. And this guy, this blind guy, he doesn't even know yet. Um, But Jesus is giving him a story and he sends him to the place that's called sent, which we can see in retrospect that Jesus is sending him to tell his story. Let's go on to verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, Nope but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man, which I know some of you also say, right? I understand this. It's a different I am the man. He says, I am the man. So they said to them, or said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. So, let me just encourage you. If you don't know all of the answers to every question ever asked by everyone up in the world about the Scriptures, about how it all works, about heaven, about hell, about the rapture, about the end times, about all of these things, be encouraged by this guy. He, he didn't know. He's like, look. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that was over there, that's been there, begging, blind. I, I don't know. This dude named Jesus, he's like, hey. Psst, psst. I went. He told me to go. I went. I washed it off. Hey, I can see. He's like, I, I don't. 
I don't know. And they start asking him questions. It's a pretty simple question. Well, where is he? Yep, I don't know that either. This guy, I love this guy. Um, I, I can be this guy. So if you want to say, I am the man, claim this guy. Be this guy. Because he doesn't really know. But he knows something. He knows that he was blind, and Jesus made it so that he could see. So as they were arguing with the neighbors, and they're trying to figure out, not just this Jesus guy, but they're trying to figure out and even disprove who, is this really the beggar that's been there all along? It goes on. So they didn't really believe him. Um, So they took him to get a second, more authoritative opinion. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them, among these Pharisees. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. So the neighbors weren't quite sure. They didn't really like the guy's answers. They take him to... Uh, this religious council, the Pharisees, because they're smarter and wiser. They can figure it all out. And they take him there, and uh, he tells the story again. It's pretty simple. To quote, um, he said, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. This is his story. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. At this point, they're no longer arguing whether this is the blind guy that's been there or not. They're kind of accepting that they think, at least at this point, that maybe this is really the guy um, that's been there all along. But they were beginning to argue about who Jesus was. Was he a sinner like us? Was he not? Is this guy sent from God or not? And they can't quite um, figure it out um, here in this moment. So they turn back to the one that's telling the story, the eyewitness, the, the one that was blind and can now see. They're like, well, who, who do you say that Jesus is? This is a question, friends, that we need to be ready for. Who do you say that Jesus is? You can answer this question. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you can answer this question. We must be ready to answer it. Who do you say that Jesus is? And this, this guy, he still doesn't know the answer to this question. He's like, I don't know, prophet? He's not quite sure. It goes on. Verse 18. The Jews didn't believe him that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. 
But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know uh, who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Again, remember the context. This is all happening as many of these kinds of moments are happening with Jesus and the Pharisees, where they know that Jesus is claiming to be God. They know that. They don't really want to admit it. Um, They don't want to deal with it but they know it. And not only is he just claiming to be God, he's claiming to be their long-awaited Messiah. And this means, if it's true, they lose all power to keep people in darkness. So his parents are there, and they know this. They know this has been going on. They know the ramifications of what happens if um, they believe in this Jesus as being the Messiah too. Um, and they, they punt. They're like, yep, he's our son. Yep, he was blind. Yep, he can now see how it happened, who did it. Ask him. Ask him. And the story goes on as they don't want to take responsibility for their son's story. So the Pharisees turn their attention back to the son in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. So what they're trying to point out here is that Jesus is not God. The Pharisees are trying to say, Tell us that Jesus isn't God. They're giving him an opportunity (laughs) to not have to deal with the consequences of making that claim. He responds. He says, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He he still doesn't exactly know who Jesus is. So what does he go back to? I was blind, and now I see. This is what he gets. This is what he understands. So they said to him in verse 26, what did he do to you How did he open your eyes? Which they've already asked him, and he has already answered them. And in verse 27, he answers them again. He says, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Ooh. Again, put yourself there in that moment. I mean, this is is a pretty significant burn. Because other people are watching. I mean, this isn't in like some back room where like nobody gets to hear. Other people are watching this go on. Do you want to be his disciples too? (laughs) Of course they don't. They hate him. These are the guys that later crucify him. So do you want to become his disciples? In verse 28, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Again, 
he still doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't quite get that Jesus is the Messiah. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but he goes back to his story and says, this is the guy um, that opened my eyes. Verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. We see in verse 24 that their questioning turned from his story to the person of Jesus. They couldn't refute his story. Everyone at this point is saying, yep, he's the blind guy, now he sees. Yep, this guy named Jesus, he told him to, he put mud on his eyes, sent him over to the pool, and now he sees. They can't refute the story. So they begin to either attack him or attack Jesus, and they're doing that. This guy still doesn't know the answers to their questions, but he continued to retell his story. In verse 26, what did he do to you? It's asked. In verse 27, I've already told you what he did, and I don't know the rest. Do you want to become his disciples too? In verse 28, this clearly made them mad. They reviled him, it says. They went from wondering to questioning to now completely separating themselves from this man and from Jesus. And at this point, although the man has simply told him that he was blind and now he sees because Jesus made mud, the truth is coming out. God makes these things happen, sometimes even despite us. And the man simply states the obvious. This Jesus, he healed me. And though you don't know who he is, I don't know who he is, it's clear that he's from God. Because people that aren't from God can't make a blind man see. People that are from God can. And their final response was to attack him, throw him out. In all these situations, again, he doesn't have the answers to their questions. He sticks with his story. He was blind. A guy named Jesus made some mud, put it on his eyes, told him to go wash it off. He can now see. This guy, Jesus, must be from God because he can do miracles. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Which, by the way, is a reference uh, that the Jews have used for the coming Messiah. So he's asking him, do you believe in the Messiah? <clears throat> he said, and who is he, sir, <laughs> that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. <laughs> I mean, imagine that you're there, just kind of watching it, and this guy who is just so simple. He doesn't understand it all, but he believes in this guy that healed him. And, well, who do you believe in the Messiah? I want to. Who is he? I'm in. Who is he? And Jesus is like, it's me. 
got to imagine his jaw just dropped. What? What? You're talking to me? This blind guy that's been begging to survive my whole life? You, the Messiah? It's you? <laughs> You're not wearing some big kingly robe? I've heard you know, them talk about you. You're, you're not the guy that they've talked about at all. You, you spit in dirt and put mud on my eyes. That doesn't sound like the Messiah, the Son of Man that I'd been taught to expect. So what was his response after Jesus says, I'm the guy, I'm the one speaking to you. It's me. I'm the Messiah. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. His response is simple. goes on in verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees, because they're still there, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Jesus came so that those who are blind, so they might see. He didn't come to exercise power and authority and make people believe in him. He didn't. He came to illuminate people's hearts and minds simply by this guy's story so that the blind might be able to see. So what do we do with this? Is it just a nice story to read in Scripture? Is it, nice, is it a nice history lesson? Or is there something more? The first thing I want us to get is that I want us to know that God has given us a story. He's given you a story. And He's given it to you that you would share it with other people. He didn't give you your story so that you might say, I don't really know the answers to all the questions. I'm just going to keep my story to myself until I get it all figured out, which, by the way, I have no plan to figure it all out. He gave you and me a story so that we would share it with the world. Second, be encouraged that you don't have to know everything. You just don't. I don't know everything. <laughs> I've got um, oodles and oodles to still learn about the person, about the work, about the character of God, about what the Scriptures have to say. I've got a lifetime of learning, and I still won't know it all. You don't have to know the answers to everything. You just don't. Be encouraged. So know that God gave you a story to share. Second, be encouraged. You don't have to know everything. And third, share your story. Share it. If God has rescued you from hell, friend, you have a story. If God has rescued your marriage, you have a story. If God has healed you of something, you have a story. 
if you have the privilege to call Jesus your friend, you have a story. God has given us all a story. And they're all somewhat different. But they all come down to the fact that we live in a dark world and God desires to illuminate people's hearts and minds so that they too would no longer be spiritually blind. It is good news. Last week, Steve alluded to a story from my life where God did something great in my life. He gave me a story. Certainly, in those moments as a 17-year-old kid, I didn't understand all the ramifications fully. I didn't know the answers to everyone's questions. I didn't know what in the world I was going to get up in front of um, some other students at the school of which I didn't know anyone and tell them there in those moments. But even that, um, that was easier, I think, than homeroom come Tuesday morning when I went back to school. And in our 10-minute homeroom, I heard people whispering about me. Granted, this is 24 hours um, from when I surrendered my life to Christ. Granted, there was a breakup with a girlfriend in there that was quite, um, quite a big deal. Um, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, probably never. But <clears throat> anyway, um, by homeroom, the first day back at school, um, people were talking And finally, this guy that I had grown up with, he said, so, I heard you found yourself. Like, I'm trying to get my math homework done because I didn't do it over the weekend. I'm like, what? I'm like, I found myself? Yeah, over the weekend. Everyone's talking. You found yourself. I'm like, well, I don't know. Looked in the mirror. I was still there. I'm like, what are you talking about? I found myself. And like, I don't know. That's just what people are, are saying. I'm like, well, that's just dumb. Like, um, so, and, you know, as I walk down the hallway, people are talking about this. I'm like, don't you guys have something better, you know, to discuss? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to trigonometry. Um, I've, I've, I'm late. And it's the, the course of the day, you know, apparently the, the, the ex-girlfriend at that moment was talking to people and telling her, her, telling people her version of my story. And I, I realized in the coming days that God was giving me the opportunity to share, not, not some elaborate, laid out plan of the gospel, but he was giving me an opportunity to share a story with people where I could say, look, I, I've, I grew up in the church and I, I was at church all the time. Two or three times on Sundays, I was there Tuesdays, I was there Wednesdays, I was there probably most uh, Friday nights or Saturday. I was there all the time as a kid, as a teenager. And I went to this camp, this retreat thing over the weekend, and I didn't even want to go, but, you know, my youth pastor, he kind of like duped me into going uh, to where I didn't have any excuses, so I went, and I didn't really like it at all, Uh, but there was this moment where they played this song, and it was, can I be called a Christian? And I don't know what happened in that moment, 
I, I can't explain it in, in physics or anything of the sort, but, but I knew that in that moment, I could not control myself from weeping. I'm not a crier. It might surprise you, but I'm not a big crier. But there in this moment, as a 17-year-old kid, with other 17-year-old kids, I'm in the back row weeping. Not cool. So what did I do in my big spiritual self? I left. <laughs> I, I went out into the cold, because it was in February, and I went down into the woods. There was this gazebo there halfway down the hill. I wasn't smart enough to get my coat. Um, so there I am in the dark, in the gazebo, in the middle of the woods, freezing, weeping uncontrollably. And my prayer was simply this, God, if you can make me stop crying, I will do anything for you. Come. Can I explain it all? No. But God in that moment gave me a story to share. And that is what I shared those coming days as I walked the halls of my school. As I sat down with my friends and they're asking me, what does it even mean to find yourself? I don't know. I didn't come up with those words. But here's what I know. I was blind. He put mud on my eyes. He told me to go to wash it off. And now I can see. Friends, God has given you and me stories to share. We need to share them. We must share them. So today, before you leave, um, I, I want you to pick up, we've got some papers over here um, at the hub. I want you to pick up one for your house, pick up five for your house, whatever you need to do. If you don't, there aren't any more, I can send it to you. I want you to take some time and write out your story. I want you, as the scripture says, to be prepared to give an answer for this hope that you profess. I want you to be more prepared than I was that day in homeroom. I want you to be more prepared than this guy uh, that was blind, now he can see. I want you to put some, some words to your story so that you're ready to share them. And not just ready, but that you pray for opportunities and step into them because God will give them to you. And he's quite possibly given us many and we've just not seen it. So in all seriousness, I want, I want everybody to grab one, and I, and I want you to take it and start working on it this week. And you, you're actually going to be sharing them in your life groups this week. So don't like wait and be like, ah, oh, I'll get to it in a couple weeks and then never do it. Um, accountability, this week, you're going to be sharing them. So start writing it. Um, today would be good. And in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be encouraged because the Scriptures call us to continue to meet together so that we might encourage one another. We're going to be encouraged and challenged by hearing other people's stories. How is it that they share the gospel with those around them? And we're going to be encouraged by those stories in just a couple of weeks. So, in all seriousness, grab, grab one of these packets and begin writing. If you need help writing it or typing it, say the word. We'll make it happen. If you don't know how to dictate things to your phone, we'll, Greg will help you. <laughs> Thanks for volunteering. Um, we'll, we'll help you. 
because your story was given to you as my story was given to me so that I might share it with the world. Let's pray. God, today uh, we are challenged uh, by this simple moment where you claim to be light of the world. And God, today we know this darkness is ever increasing. It is becoming more and more obvious and apparent to us in our life. And God, we're challenged by the fact that you have also said to us that we are the light of a world of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. God, may you use the stories that you've given us to illuminate the world to your greatness, to your goodness, to the gospel, so that others' lives might be changed for eternity. They might have hope. For it's in the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen.